Hey guys, Josh here. I am here to finish out our series in Advent today. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray and we're going to get started and start talking about the wonderful topic that we have to cover today. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for the Advent season. God, I thank you that we in this time have a set time, a set month, God, to just sit down and rest and stare at your son, Jesus Christ. To to stare at who he is and what he has done, what that means for our lives and for the world, God. And so, Father, I pray, God, that as we finish out this Advent series, that you would have it settled in our hearts the ways that Jesus answers the troubles and distresses and woes of our life and of our world. That Jesus actually is the solution. And He is the solution because of who He is, because of how He is. That He is Wonderful Counselor. He is Mighty God. He is Everlasting Father. And here today we explore God. He is Prince of Peace. And so Father, I pray that today as we look at Your Word, that we would have it settled in our spirits that Jesus is our only source of peace. Joyful, joyful, we adore Thee, God. God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before Thee, opening up to the sun above. God, let some hearts unfold before You today because of who Jesus is, the rest that He brings, the peace that He brings, God. God, would You do it? Would you unite your power with my weak words and as a consequence, bear fruit in our lives together at Icon Cup? We love you, Father, and we entrust our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas Day, 1914. It was right in the middle of one of the, uh, you know, of World War I. It's a really terrible time in the world. But in 1914, there was a really strange day on Christmas. You see, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but there's this thing called the Christmas Truce of 1914. That in, in, in Europe, on the Western Front, there was this location of a, uh, a gruesome battle that had gone on and on and on and on. And then, in the midst of that battle, on Christmas Eve, uh, the, the, the soldiers from their trenches began to sing back and forth to one another different Christmas carols. They knew it was Christmas, they knew it was Christmas Eve, and it started with the Germans just shouting out at the other side, Merry Christmas, Englishmen! And then slowly, this thing began to just kind of transform from wishing one another Merry Christmas from the other side of the trenches, to singing Christmas carols, to then a few brave soldiers popping their head up out of the trench and seeing, maybe we could have Christmas together. And slowly but surely, soldiers began to get out of their trenches go to the middle of the battlefield, and there exchange gifts. Exchange Merry Christmases and exchange. They played, they played a soccer game. And there was just, just this peace that, that overcame the battlefield. That there was a quiet hush of, of peace. The, the air, the sound of, of guns and of bombs going off had been replaced by Christmas carols by men singing back and forth to one another and wishing one another a Merry Christmas. Listen to how the captain, Robert Miles, describes this. He was there. He was writing a letter 
we are having the most extraordinary Christmas day imaginable. A sort of unarranged and quite unauthorized but perfectly understood observed truce exists between us and our friends on the front. The thing started last night, a bitter cold night with white frost, soon after dusk when the Germans started shouting, Merry Christmas, Englishmen, to us. Of course, our fellows shouted back and presently large numbers of both sides had left their trenches unarmed and met in the debatable, shot-riddled, no-man's-land between the lines. Here the agreement, all on their own, came to be made that we should not fire at each other until after midnight tonight. The men were all fraternizing in the middle. We naturally did not allow them too close to our line. We swapped cigarettes and lies and the utmost good fellowship. Not a shot was fired all night. Strange peace. A a, a quiet hush in the middle of war. That Christmas had come and there was peace. And then, what happened after that? They went back to their trenches. They went back to their barracks and got their guns ready to kill each other again the next day. They ended the day after fellowship and peace, getting ready to shoot at one another again. And friends, that is a picture of the peace that this world has to offer. That it feels really good and really fuzzy and cozy at times. That it feels like we can have a a, a real peace even in the midst of distress and anger and division. That there's these moments of peace There are these moments where it feels like what was once filled with guns and bombs, whether literally or metaphorically, is now now has this quiet hush. It seems like things have gotten back to normal and we can live together again. But every time, every single time, we end that night, we end that week, we end that month getting ready, ready to go at one another again. Peace in this world never seems to stick. Peace in this world never seems to have the right kind of staying power in order to, to really move things forward, to really, have, to really have our souls settled and at rest. Of course we get taste of it. Of course we get moments of peace. But it seems like those are always perpetually followed by the same old things that came before, by the same old distress, the same old anxieties, the same old woes and divisions and bitter fights against one another. It always seems to follow moments of peace. It never seems to stick. Just like the Christmas truce of 1914, it feels really wonderful in the moment and it feels like we've achieved something special. And then the next day we're back at war. Deep down, we know because peace doesn't ever stick, we have, to, we have to give ourselves to certain things. We have to give ourselves to certain ways of life in order to get that next hit of peace. And, and our culture is, is moving in what you could call the gospel of stress management. That we are always looking for peace. We know that there's something out there. There's some sort of thing that I can get, that I can put my hands on and around that will give me peace, that will give me rest. And so we believe this gospel of stress management and we are perpetually searching and hounding for that next hit of peace. 
And the world is doing everything it can, everything it can to give you that experience, to try to woo you in, to lure you in and say, hey, hey, that peace that you want, it's found in this. It's, it, it, you know, I, I, you don't have peace anymore? Well, we'll come and try this. It's ready to give you that next hit of, of mindfulness or of yoga or of essential oils or grounding practices or Enneagram insights or political candidates. It is perpetually trying to fill that gap in you in your desperate search for peace trying to find a piece that will stick, trying to find a piece that will get you by. It's perpetually trying to fill that gap with something that it can offer you. But these, these things, my friends, though many of them good and right, they are just stepping stones that get us a little bit, a, a little bit further along, a little bit further along to keep us from sinking into the mire of despair and dissolution. These things don't last These things are only stepping stones to keep us from sinking into that despair that is perpetually biting at our heels. We are in a rat race for peace. We are in a rat race for peace. We are simultaneously the most therapeutic and the most anxious society in human history. None of these things last. The consolations of this world coddle you just enough to get you by just enough to keep most of us from falling apart, but they never give what we could really identify as real, lasting peace. They don't work. And I just want to say today, in this message of Advent, as, are you not tired of this yet? Are, are you not tired of this rat race of peace, of feeling like you finally found it? That this practice, that this thing, this, this rhythm of life that you've finally found and it gave you peace for a day, for a week, maybe even a month, but then it disappears. It loses its shelf life. Are you, are you not tired of this yet? Are you not tired from the world telling you that peace is out there, but you just got to go find it? You see, our, our, our culture is, it, it wants peace, but the way that it does it is, is this really watered down form of a, an old heresy called Gnosticism. That there is this secret knowledge, there is this secret practice that if only you could find, you could be enlightened enough to then live in peace. But friends, how's that working out for you? How's that working out for our culture? Like I said, we're the most therapeutic and yet most anxious society to ever live in human history. Something's not working. Something's got to change. And what's got to change is that we have to give up the gospel of stress management. And friends, there is no better season or reason to give up that gospel of stress management, of that secret Gnosticism saying that you can find peace on your own. There's a secret knowledge that you can take a hold of. There's no better season than Advent for you to get out of that, to give you freedom from that rat race of peace. You see, Advent is the message that, that God sees our distress. He, distress he, he sees our harassed condition in this world. 
and he actually gives to the world a solution. He actually gives to the world a a solution that can get us out of that rat race, that can get us out of that gospel of stress management, that can replace those little stepping stones with a solid rock foundation. Advent is the season that says that peace is not something that you have to find, but something that will come to you and has come to you if only you would receive Him. Advent is the season in which we can escape this rat race exhausted condition and find real peace in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, today, in this final week in Advent, we're going to explore the reality of Jesus as Prince of Peace. But Isaiah 9 says that Jesus is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And that little Prince of Peace, Isaiah doesn't use that just because it's alliterative, but it's actually uh, illustrative. It actually shows something about Jesus, that Jesus as Prince of peace is actually able to dispense to the world by by who he is and by what he's done real solid lasting peace jesus is able to give us peace and so this week we're going to look at isaiah 11 isaiah 11 6 through 9 which is going to show that that jesus because of who he is and because of how he works in the world gives us real lasting peace in all of the pain points of human vulnerability. That this text, these simple verses of 6 through 9, is actually going to identify the the real pain points of human vulnerability and where we feel stressed out, where we feel the least amount of peace. And it's going to say, Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the one who's able to come into that vulnerability, is able to come into that pain point and actually provide rest. We're going to see that Jesus gives relational peace, psychological peace, and spiritual peace. Jesus as Prince of Peace comes into those pain points of human vulnerability and gives us peace. And so first, relational peace. How does Jesus as Prince of Peace bring some rest in our relationships? Well, listen to Isaiah 11. Look at just uh, verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. So verse 6 starts out this, this little section saying that these relationships that used to exist in strife and in danger have now been, been transformed and transposed into a relationship of peace. That old enemies, none more clear than a wolf and a lamb, have now been transformed into a relationship of safety. That the old natural instincts to destroy are gone. In fact, verse 6, when it says that the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, there's a sense in which the, the ones who are passive is the lamb and the young goat, saying that they're the ones welcoming the wolf in. They're the ones welcoming the leopard in. That these ones who, at, 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 in recent history, were at most risk and most danger from the wolf, 
that there is such peace in that relationship now. There is such harmony there. That, that instinct to destroy has been so taken away that the lamb has the confidence to welcome in the wolf. To welcome in the wolf to his dwelling place. Because there's no more relational strife. There's no more instinct to destroy. There's no more danger to fear in that relationship. But Isaiah is not just trying to get at the animal kingdom here. Of course, this is wonderful, but really, this is poetic language that's meant to show us something, that means, that's meant to illustrate something to us as human beings. And that is that human beings, <clears throat> have an, we have an instinct to tear at one another, don't we? We have this instinct to tear at one another relationally and to assert our will over one another. That we want, to, we want to enter into relationship and we want to audit because of our sinful nature. We want to see how we can prop ourselves up. And in our campaign of self-assertion, we see everyone as a potential enemy. Everyone is a potential enemy. Everyone is a potential lamb to be consumed in order for us to advance. Whether that's professionally, personally, or socially. We are naturally right now in our flesh looking for vulnerabilities. Looking for ways that we can exploit one another in order to exalt ourselves. And you might say, that's really strong language. I I don't do that. I'm a kind person. I'm nice. Well, you might be nice, but I, I doubt that this doesn't apply to you. All of us do this. All of us are looking at relationships with a selfish filter. And yeah, some of us have grown in Christ more and more and more so to where that filter is less, dis- is, is less distinct and strong. But all of us still have this nature in us to be the wolf. To be the one who's looking for ways to consume one another relationally. When you walk into a room How long does it take you to size up the people in that room? Like instinctively, to walk into a room and you are are automatically aware of the room, aware of who's in it and you're, you're sizing one another up. How long does it take you to notice that woman's hair? How long does it take you to filter through all the reasons why you are stronger, smarter, kinder, more beautiful, more physically fit, more holy, more relaxed, more level-headed, more in tune with your emotions than most of the other people in that room. Do you see what you're doing there? You are seeking to look for vulnerabilities. You know your own strengths. You know your own ways in which you are better than other people. And you walk into a room and you're thinking, How can I assert my dominance here? How can I assert uh, something here? What do I bring to the table that should make me feel secure above uh, above these other people? And again, you might automatically think that that type of thinking only exists like in the the physically fit and in the eights on the Enneagram, but all of us are doing it. How, How many people do you judge for being more, uh, for, for being less in tune with their emotions than you are? How many, how many people do you judge and feel better than 
because you are more physically fit or because you think you're kinder. You see yourself as better. You see yourself as those who, who, who have, a, have a seat at the table because I am this more than this other person. It's a relational tearing at one another. We tear at one another while we try to size one another up. Like the wolf, we are looking for each other's vulnerability so as to feel secure in ourselves. And sure, we might not like explicitly exploit other people. Some people definitely do. But we certainly, we certainly want to expose them and our minds for why we should feel exalted. And this, my friends, is the source of relational strife. The reason why relationships are a place that they, they feel like a place of, of danger, of division, is because of this reality right here. That you and that other person are constantly in this ping pong game, whether you know it or not, to feel that you are better than that person. Listen, listen to how James 4 verses 1 says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You fight and quarrel. You want something. You want to feel something in that relationship and you don't have it. You, you want to have this, this, this sense of security and you want people to praise you. You want the affirmation of others and you don't have it and so you're fighting and quarreling. Relational strife comes because we are constantly exalting ourselves over one another. But importantly, how is in this reality, how is Jesus the Prince of Peace? How does Jesus bring about this transformation that's talked about in verse 6? How can he really bring peace in the arena of relational strife and hurt? Jesus, because of who he is and because of what he's done, goes to the core of that little desire in you to exalt yourself, to assert yourself, and he takes it away. He, he transforms it. You see, all of that, uh, that, that desire for exaltation and for affirmation and for self-assertion, it comes because you have a certain value system in your identity. In your, in your weak identity as a fallen human being who is trying to feel secure in yourself, trying to feel secure in relationships and in the boardroom and all these things, we want to feel secure in that way. That's because your identity is bent on, is dependent on those things. But Jesus, when he comes in, Jesus gives us a new identity that changes our value system. That when Jesus comes into the world, he's coming to save us and he's coming to transform us. Like we talk about all the time here at Icon, that we were, we were made in the image of God and yet none of us live a day fully imaging God in the way we were meant to. We are sinful and fallen. And yet Jesus comes in as the true icon to pay the price for our sins and to slowly, by his spirit, transform us back into that original image. That original image of love and humility. When we have that identity, 
that's rooted in Jesus, that's not dependent on others or how we feel about ourselves, but is objective and true in Jesus Christ outside of ourselves, then our, our value system begins to change. You see, what, what makes it possible for the wolf and the lamb to dwell together? Who's the one who's got to change there? The wolf. The lamb is already, you know, vulnerable. The lamb hasn't done anything except gain the confidence to welcome the wolf into his dwelling place. It's the instinctual desire to destroy and consume that must be taken away from the wolf. Same is true for us as human beings. That we need someone to come in and to change who we are at the core so that our value system is no longer about self-assertion, is no longer about exalting ourselves, but is rather about love and service and humility. You see, following a crucified Savior means that our lives are no longer about self-promotion. Being called a son or daughter of God means I no longer need your vulnerabilities to be propped up and secure. I don't need that. It's not important to me anymore being asserted in relationships. Rather, what's important is being near to God, hearing from Him who I am. Being loved by God means I don't need to love myself being loved by God frees me to love others rather than to use others. When our weapons of self-promotion are, are no longer necessary because we have a secure identity in Jesus, then our relational values become centered around love, service, and humility. All of which are able to bring relational peace. Because of what I have received in Jesus, with all of the inner peace and security that that brings, I can actually be concerned with your well-being rather than being concerned and constantly, constantly looking for the ways in which you're vulnerable and so therefore I can assert myself. I don't need that anymore. I don't, I don't need your vulnerabilities to feel secure in myself anymore because I'm secure in God. I'm secure in Jesus Christ, what he says about me, that the, the truest and most important reality of my life, the truest thing about me as Joshua Searcy is that I am loved by God. I'm secure in Jesus Christ. What more affirmation do I need? What more love what more exaltation do I need than to be brought from a broken, fallen sinner and to be brought to a higher station as a son of God? What kind of exaltation do I need more than that? And so I don't need your vulnerabilities to feel secure anymore. Rather, I can, I can look at you with love. I can be transformed in Jesus Christ in order to be an agent of relational peace. Jesus brings relational peace because of the ways that he transforms us. Do you need relational peace today, friend? What relationships are there because of strife? What relationships are filled with strife and division, anger and of exhaustion, and friends, certainly, some of those relationships, some of that strife is not because of your desire to exalt yourself, but rather that other person. Yet even there, 
there can still be the possibility of peace within you because we look at Jesus, as 1 Peter says, who, who did not revile when he was reviled. Who did not return reviling for reviling, but rather submitted himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus had relational peace. He had, he had peace even when being shouted at and cursed out of no fault to his own because he was secure in who he knew he was to the Father. The same can be true of you, friend. That because of who Jesus is and what he's done for you, you can have relational peace, even in the midst of strife and, and dysfunction and drama in the other person. You can still have peace and not be torn apart. Second, our second pain point of human vulnerability is this psychological peace. Jesus brings psychological peace. Look at, look at verse 8. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Now, this verse seems like it's talking about physical danger. But I think it's talking about that certainly to, to a certain degree, but I think it's going deeper than that. Because who would be most assured by this verse? I can tell you it's not the baby and it's not the toddler. They, they don't care. I, I can tell you as a father to a toddler, she does not, th- doesn't seem to care about danger. I mean, you, you saw her today in the video jumping off the couch. No matter how many times I tell her, hey, if you're going to jump on the couch, jump from your knees, not from your feet. <laughs> but she doesn't, she doesn't care about danger. She doesn't understand and so this, this verse isn't talking, isn't really addressing the toddler and the baby saying, hey, don't be scared of physical danger. Rather, what it's saying is to the mothers, is to the fathers, that, hey, there is coming a world because of this person, Jesus Christ. There is coming a world in which you will no longer have to have the anxiety that you feel towards your children. You will no longer have to fear for their safety. You will no longer have to fear when they go play by that cobra hole. (laughs) This verse is speaking to the psychological fear of parents who are concerned for the safety of their children. That in this world of Isaiah 11, psychological fear, anxiety, and despair have no place. There's literally no reason to worry in this great world. But... Not so in our world. Not so right now. (laughs) Right now, you are psychologically vulnerable to fear and anxiety. That, That chaos and tragedy and danger is a real possibility. And yet, we are able to have peace. We are we are all anxious. Like right now, why why are your shoulders tense? Why are your sho- who taught you to do that? Who taught you to tense up your shoulders? It's, it's, a, it's as if that the natural condition of the human being stuck in sin is anxiety. Of being afraid of what's out there in the world. That we are deeply and intuitively anxious. That we have this psychological fear. What, and what, what is anxiety? Just to kind of speak to that directly here. What is anxiety? Well, this is kind of a a recapitulation of what I talked about in the mental health series for anxiety. But anxiety, as John Webster says, is the dark shadow 
of our uniquely human capacity to hope. That all of us right now in this world, that we have this this really unique capacity as human beings to look into the future and see and look into it with ambition and hope and joy and want. We we want some peace there. Good things are going to come. And yet we have this dark shadow called anxiety in which we look into the future and we no longer see joy or life or peace, but rather we see dread. We see tragedy. We are dress rehearsing tragedy. And again, this is what I talked about in the mental health series, but we are, we are dress rehearsing something going wrong. You know what I mean by that in a dress rehearsal that you're not really in the thing. You're not really in the play yet, but you're putting on everything that you would in the case of, a, a, of the real play. Anxiety is dress rehearsing something going wrong, something going terribly wrong. It hasn't happened yet, but you're getting ready for it. Even in this, Jesus can bring peace. Jesus brings psychological peace because he is the insertion of a new reality and of a new order in which you are no longer alone and dependent for your own survival. You're no longer dependent on yourself. Listen to how Jesus says this in Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is gone, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. That Jesus says that because of who he is, he's come into the world, he's brought a, a, a kingdom with him in which you don't have to be anxious about even the most basic uh, needs of human life. And what he's, what he's saying here seems absurd. What kind of society could exist? What kind of, what kind of family could really survive if they weren't concerned about where their next meal was coming from? If they weren't concerned about the clothing on their back or what they're going to drink and eat? It seems absurd, and yet it's not because in Jesus Christ, there has come into the world a new reality, a new kingdom in which you are not alone, in which the world is no longer a place in which you must ensure that you survive, but rather is a place in which you can see the, the, the environment of faithfulness in the kingdom of God, of love and care. You can actually believe for your toddlers, for your babies, and for your own lives that you are not alone. You are not alone, friend. It's not on your shoulders anymore because of the sheer fact of Jesus Christ. The sheer fact of who Jesus is bringing in his kingdom. You can have 
real peace. The peace of the kingdom of God coming into the world in Jesus is reality. That's the true reality. And it's, it's not distraction. A lot of us, I think, think of it that way of like, oh, don't think about your food. Don't think about your clothing and just kind of distract yourself with the kingdom of God. That's not the type of peace that we're talking about. Distraction doesn't work. That, so uh, uh, about a month ago, I went on a hike with my daughter, Margot, and it was, uh, it was, it was, it was not great. I, uh, we went over, it was over in Duval and, uh, all, all trails, that app was completely wrong when it comes to the elevation gain and the actual distance. So I'm a little upset about that. And the, the way that that worked itself out is that, uh, we were hiking to a little waterfall, but we didn't make it there cause it was starting to get dark and we had to run back. Um, and I didn't want to hike in the dark in this new place that I had no idea where we were. And so we start hiking back and it's, it's just too late. It's, it's dark, it's, the sun has gone down and it's just me and my soon-to-be three-year-old daughter and I'm thinking, man, if there is ever a place that I feel vulnerable right now, it, it, it's, it's this moment. <laughs> and I could tell in my daughter Margot that she was kind of sensing like, uh, this isn't great, this isn't a great situation to be in. <laughs> and yet, uh, so I, I tried to tried to calm her down a little bit. And the way that I did that is I, I just carried her, um, which was exhausting. I, I carried her the whole way back in the dark. And I turned on her, fra- her, her favorite album, which is the Frozen soundtrack. And after that, she was great. She, had, she, was, she didn't feel anxious. She was being held by daddy. And she was listening to her favorite music. But what that was at its core is distraction. I was trying to distract her away from the very real vulnerability and danger that I felt like we might have been in. I was trying to tell her, hey, if you see a kitty, if you see a lion, tell daddy, okay? But in her mind, she feels perfectly fine because I've distracted her well enough to not be afraid. That's not the peace that Jesus is trying to give us in anxiety. It's not a distraction. Rather, the, the kingdom of God is not a distraction from your anxieties. But it is a new word, a new order, a new rule in which those anxieties actually become untrue because those anxieties are telling you that you are alone and nothing is more untrue than that in the kingdom of God. That you don't have to be afraid. Jesus brings psychological peace because his rule and his reign means that anxiety is a lie. It tells something untrue about the world. It says that we are alone, but we're not. Jesus, because of who He is and what He brings into the world, brings real, solid peace even to our psychology. We no longer have to dress rehearse and prepare for tragedy thinking that we're alone, that even if tragedy does happen, I'm going to have to figure it out. No, in Jesus, in this new kingdom, we can recognize and receive that we are not alone, that this world is not a place in which we must ensure that we survive, but rather this is a place in which we encounter the faithfulness of God inaugurated in Jesus Christ through his kingdom. So that even if fear, even if tragedy does come our way, even then, we are not alone. Even then, we don't have to bear the burden of ensuring that we survive that tragedy, that we make it through. Rather, we have a faithful king who holds our hand through the whole thing and says, hey, I know what you need. 
I, I know that you need these things. Won't you trust me? Jesus brings psychological peace. Finally, Jesus brings spiritual peace. Look at verse 9. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. All shall know the Lord. That this is the language of reconciliation. That there is coming a time where the world shall be reconciled to God, that God will come in in Jesus Christ and and fully bring peace and harmony back to the world. But it's already happened in Jesus Christ. There's already been reconciliation and there's the need for reconciliation because us, us as sinners, are at risk of separation from God. You see, this verse is speaking to a spiritual peace that should not be available to us of knowing the Lord, that should not be available to us because all of us in our sin stand under the judgment of separation. That in our sin, we've been given a judgment that will unravel us at the core because it is a judgment of separation from the one person you were made to exist in relationship with. That sin separates us. Sin separates us from knowing the Lord from knowing Him in relationship. Sin separates us from that, and we feel that. We feel that, that spiritual turmoil in our souls. That's why, that's, that's kind of the core of what I, what I said first in the sermon, that we're searching for peace. We, we want to find something that will give us some rest, that will give us some peace. And deep down, the reason for that is not just because you're anxious about money, is not just because of relational strife, it's not just because you're anxious about safety. Rather, it's because we as human beings intuitively know that something has gone horribly wrong in this world and what it is is sin. That we have sinned against God. And because of that, we are rightfully, we, we, we rightfully stand under the judgment of separation. And we are, we are just exacerbated by that. We are, our turmoil, our despair, and our dissolution is just heightened because we're separated from the one person who can give us peace. That as Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find our rest in thee. Our hearts are restless because we've been separated from God by sin. But Jesus brings spiritual peace. Jesus brings back a, a peaceful relationship between you and God because he takes your place. He takes, he takes away from you the very thing that should separate you from God, that should separate you and, and, and uh, really judge you or sentence you into dissolution and despair, away from the reality of peace. Jesus takes that away from you and places it on himself. Jesus brings peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus takes away from you. Gosh, I want you to hear this. Jesus takes away from you the very thing that should cause all of the anxiety, all of the despair, all of the dissolution. He takes that away from you, takes it into himself in order that you might have peace with God. In order that that primal ache of your human nature should be 
answered in relationship with God, being reconciled to him. Jesus purchases our peace. And really, this is where the world really goes wrong because the world is trying to say to you, you can find peace. But the truth of the matter is, is that because of our sin, peace can only be purchased. We've lost the right to peace. We've lost that claim because of our sinful condition. We have earned for ourselves anxiety and despair. And so peace is, is not something you can just stumble into through, through mindfulness and, and yoga and Enneagram and whatever. A new political candidate. Peace is not something that you can just stumble into. Rather, peace must be purchased by Jesus and given to us. And that, my friends, is the gospel message. The gospel message identifies for you what's gone wrong. The reason why you have such turmoil and anxiety is not because you're just afraid of financial turmoil. The reason why you're afraid to be vulnerable in relationships. The reason why you're afraid of of death. The reason why COVID-19 has hit something in our society that is so obsessed with safety and security. COVID-19 has gone to the core and shown to us the reality of death. And it has messed us up. Because that little fear of death is something that we buried a long time ago with social media and with the pleasures of this world and everything else. But now that those things seem to be taken from us and we are exposed to the bare light of the reality of our human condition and frailty. We're afraid. And the reason we're afraid is because we are sinners. The friends, as Christians, the cross of Jesus Christ has taken away every reason for you to fear because it's, taking, it's taken away every sin you have, do, or will ever commit. It's taken away every reason for separation from God. God no longer has any reason to no longer be near to you. That relationship of of knowing the Lord, the the knowledge of the Lord actually can cover the earth as the waters cover the sea because Jesus has taken away your sin. He's taken away the judgment. And so friends, I, I want you to rest in that today. I want you to, as you close out 2020, which I'm sure if you're like me, has been a, there's just been a litany of reasons of why God should not be merciful to me. Of why the peace of God shouldn't be available to me. Because I'm a sinner who've, who's, who's turned away from Him, who's, who's looked to all these other things to bring me comfort in the midst of a very difficult and terrible year. And yet, even there, the cross of Jesus Christ says to me, You're still welcomed in. What is it for you? What is the the reason? What What is the sin that you think should have the last word and should therefore disqualify you from the peace of God? Friends, receive the message of the cross. Receive the message of a better word that Jesus has taken away from you off of your shoulders 
every reason for you to be anxious, every reason for you to be afraid. Jesus has taken that away from you because he's taken your sin and he's opened up for you a relationship with God of peace and reconciliation. Jesus brings spiritual peace. Now, I would be, I think, a fool not to say that all of this feels like very pie-in-the-sky kind of stuff. Even, I, I mean, this text in Isaiah 11, that's a, that's a whole other world. <laughs> that's not the one we're living in right now. It feels pie-in-the-sky. I mean, a wolf and a lamb dwelling together, we can't even get a donkey and an elephant to coexist, if you know what I mean. The world of Isaiah 11 is future, but it can be tasted in the present, friends. It can be experienced in the present. How is that? Just to kind of close, some application. How can you access this peace that's available to you in Jesus? The best way is to walk and to be near and to invite the Spirit of God into your life. Listen to how Jesus says it in John 14. These things, all the things that he shared with him, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so Jesus says, right before he's about to leave and ascend to the throne right beside God the Father, he says to his disciples, listen, everything that I've said to you, that will give you peace. I, I'm sending with, in my name the Holy Spirit who's going to bring all those things to your remembrance, who's going to remind you, hey, hey, here's who you are in Jesus. Here's the true reality of the world that makes anxiety a lie. Here's the way in which you've been transformed in your identity in Jesus so that relational peace is available, that all of us as Christians have been given the Holy Spirit to remind us and to help us to remember and really take as the truth of the world who Jesus is and what that means for our peace. And so friends, as we close 2020, I, just, I, I could give no better exhortation to you than to look into 2021 and say about 2021, I'm going to walk by the Spirit. I'm going to invite the activity and the power of the Holy Spirit into my life in 2021. I want to walk with the Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to remind me of all of who I am in Jesus, of all that He's done for me. I want the Holy Spirit to, to take out, to cut out the knees of sin so that it has no power in my life. I want, I want, I want the Holy Spirit to remind me of who I am in Jesus, to give me the, the sweetness of reconciliation with God, to bring that back up in my heart. Do that in 2021. Walk by the Spirit. And then, if you walk near to Him, Jesus, Jesus says right there at the end, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What, what, what a banner to end 2020 on. That in Jesus, relational strife, worldly anxiety, and even sin itself, does not have the last word. So that means Jesus as Prince of Peace tells us, do not let your hearts be troubled. Even here at the end of 2020, friend, 
beloved son, beloved daughter of God, do not let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Peace be with you, friends. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again that your son is the answer to our despair. Every way, in every category, he is comprehensive and lasting peace. Father, I thank you that you've given us your son to give us peace, that our peace is purchased. Our peace is available to us because Jesus was actually tormented. That Jesus was relationally tormented. That he actually was separated from you in order that we could be brought in. Our relational peace, our psychological peace, our spiritual peace all exists because of the ways that Jesus experienced torment in our place in all of those categories. And so I pray that that truth would rest on my friends here. Give them rest and peace, God. Father, we love you and we ask that your spirit would walk with us in 2021 and bring into our remembrance not just the despair and the dysfunction and the terribleness of 2020, but more importantly, bring to our remembrance who Jesus is and all that that means for our lives. All of who we are to you in Jesus and all of who you are for us in Jesus, oh God. And let that give our hearts peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to take some time to respond. And every week we do just a few things in order to respond rightly to the word of God. And the first is silence. That we want to, we want to mute our mouths before the word of God. And really let the Holy Spirit search us. Help us to reflect and think on what is it that you've said to me today, God? What is it that you want to apply to my heart? What, what peace do I need to remember? So we're going to be silent. We're going to, we're going to have the Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit to bring to our hearts a, a conviction or a remembrance that will move us forward in the way of peace. Finally, we, we, we want to give also. We want, we want to give generously as we close out 2020. We want to give generously because we know that we've been given generously in Jesus in order that the, the anxiety that covers Seattle would be answered with the peace of Jesus Christ. We want that message to go forward, and so we want to be generous for it to go forward. And then we take communion. We take communion and we remember that our peace is purchased. Like I said, it's not something we stumble into. It's something that's been secured for us in Jesus Christ. And so we take the, the, the bread, remind us of the body, we take the juice or the wine reminding us of the blood that was poured out for us in order that we might have peace, in order that the source of our despair and sin could be taken away from us and we could have peace. Let's do that now, friends.